you some riddles that I want you to try to solve. Some of them are very obvious, so if you get it wrong, you're going to be like, oh my goodness, how did I get that wrong? But I want to just start by having a little fun, a little levity this morning. So here's the first one, okay? And you can use your partner next to you if you want. David's father has three sons, Snap, Crackle, and David. That's right. Think about it. David's father has three sons, right? I know. See? Now you're awake. Okay, ready? Here's the next one. The more you take, the more you leave behind. What am I? The more you take, the more you leave behind. Any guesses? Footsteps. Right? The more you take, the more you leave behind. See that? Okay. This one, to me, is the hardest one. At least, I think so. A cowboy rode into town on Friday. He stayed for three nights and rode out on Friday. How is that possible? Okay, you guys are smarter than me. Yes, the horse's name is Friday. How did you guys get that? I always remember looking at it, and I'm thinking, I even had the answer. I'm like, wait, what? Oh, okay, that makes sense. All right, here's the last one. What comes once in a minute, twice in a moment, but never in a thousand years? Oh my goodness. Like I thought the letter M, I thought I would get you guys this morning. <laughs> you guys are smart. All right. Well, I'll do better next time. But I want to give you one more riddle. This one is near impossible to solve. In fact, for someone like you and me, we can't do it. The only one that can do that is Jesus. So open up to John chapter 8. And we're going to be in John chapter 8 this morning looking at this seemingly impossible riddle that somehow Jesus has to solve, not just for the woman in the story, but for you and me as well. So open up to John chapter 8. And as you do, if you have your Bibles, look right between the end of John 7 and then John chapter 8. Most of the Bibles in here that you have is going to say something like this. The most ancient Greek manuscripts do not include John 7, 53 through 8, 11. So the earliest manuscripts that we have of the scriptures, this story was not included in it. Most commentators and theologians think later one of John's scribes or the early church inserted it in. But no fear, those who are really aware of how the Bible was put together, we call that textual biblical criticism, who really evaluates how the Bible's put together and makes sure it is solid, they agree that this story belongs in the scriptures, even though it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts. In fact, we read this from Colin Cruz's commentary about what Bruce Metzger says. Bruce Metzger, who's a biblical uh, uh, criticism guy, he says, Bruce Metzger says it has all the earmarks of historical veracity. It is consistent with what we know of the person of Christ from what is reflected in the rest of the gospel. In other words, even though it's not originally in the earliest manuscript, we do see the story start to show up, and it's consistent with what we know of Jesus. And so not only do we include it in the Bible that we have now, but we want to teach on it because it teaches us so much about who Jesus is. But I wanted to show you that because you're going to see it in your Bible and you're going to think, what do we do with that? Well, we still teach it. We still see it show up in some of the manuscripts that are early, and so we want to make sure to study it as God's word. So here's what it says. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. 
just like Jesus would normally do, grabbing the disciples and anyone else that's around, and they would go into the temple, and they would teach about the kingdom of God. What does it mean that God has come to this earth in Jesus, and he's bringing the kingdom of God? How do we live in that? What does it look like practically? And as Jesus is teaching, something crazy happens. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Now, I'm not trying to be lewd here, but to understand what exactly happened, you have to understand what just happened with the teachers of the law and this woman. This woman was caught in the act of adultery, literally in the midst of intercourse with another man who was not her husband. The teachers of the law ripped her away, dragged her to Jesus to not only humiliate her, but they're going to give Jesus the riddle of a lifetime to try in order to solve. Now before we look at what that riddle is, I want you to imagine the scene for a moment. Imagine that you're in the crowd and you're hearing Jesus teaching. And here's this woman who is probably half-dressed at best. They throw her in front of Jesus, throw her in front of the crowd. How humiliating that would have been for her. She obviously wasn't doing something that she should have. It was wrong. Jesus later in this text will call it sin. But this woman is humiliated, thrown in front of these people to use as an object lesson for these Pharisees to try to catch Jesus in a trap. Not only that, the woman was brought to Jesus. What about the man? Where did he go? He's just as guilty. This isn't his wife. Maybe he got away as the religious leaders were grasping for both of them. Maybe he slipped away. But what we think happened is the Pharisees wanted just to use the woman and her humiliation to elevate their cause and to push forward their argument that what they're going to bring to Jesus, he can't solve. And he's going to use this woman who's probably naked or maybe has a little bit of clothes on to prove their point. John 8, 4 through 5. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. And that, my friends, is the riddle. You find a woman, a woman who's caught in adultery. The law of Moses says if someone is caught in adultery, they can be executed. And one of the ways of execution is to stone her. The law says this. We know you have compassion for her here. What do you do about that? How do you do both? The late, great Tim Keller, he puts it this way. The religious leaders know Jesus is stuck between two issues. The life of the woman and the divine law of Moses. On one hand, they know Jesus is a consummate teacher of grace, compassion, tenderness, and forgiveness. On the other hand, Jesus has also said the law of Moses is from God and not a jot or tittle will pass away until it is fulfilled. And the law of Moses states adultery is punishable by execution. So what does he do 
The religious leaders are thinking, we finally have him. This is a riddle that Jesus can't solve. It's a trap that he can't get out of. Because if he says, look, this woman, yeah, what she did was wrong, but all of us do wrong things. We need to show the woman grace. We need to give her a second chance. We need to let her go from punishment. But he doesn't respect the law of Moses. He ignores the law of Moses. He can't be Messiah. And so Jesus may uphold grace, but the expense of truth. Or if he says, you're right, the law of Moses states she can be executed. You obviously have stones in your hand ready to stone her. We need to do that. If he does that, he is right in that he upholds the law of Moses. But his graciousness, his compassion, his forgiveness, which Jesus is known for, which the people knew he was known for, he would ignore that. He would uphold the truth, but at the expense of grace. You see the riddle. If he does this, he's right, but he's wrong. If he does this, he's right, but he's wrong. How can he be both right? Save this woman, but also uphold the truth of God's word. We continue on. The second part of verse 6 says, But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now these guys think they have Jesus trapped. They're trying to provoke something from Jesus. They think that if Jesus says one thing or another, they finally can discredit him as a Messiah. So they're waiting to see what Jesus says. And in Jesus' fashion, he looks them in the eyes and doesn't say a word. Jesus does that a lot. By the way, we probably should learn from Jesus sometimes in that way, shouldn't we? Isn't it funny? Someone, someone tries to bait you in saying something, and then you say something, you're like, why did I say that? He shows self-control. I don't know if you want to get in the dirt and write. Maybe that's a good tactic to use as well. But Jesus, that's his tactic. He gets down and he starts to draw in the sand. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again. and He wrote in the dust. If you've ever seen this text illustrated or you've heard it taught on before, oftentimes people have different ideas of what Jesus writes in the sand. Maybe he's writing the religious people's sins. Maybe he's writing something that's condemning to what they're doing in their own religious life. However that is, we don't want to assume here. We don't want to say something that scripture doesn't say. And so we can guess all we want, but we have to be careful to say Jesus was probably doing this because we don't know exactly what he's doing in the sand. He's doing something. He does it twice, which means he's getting the attention of the people. But what we do know and what we need to focus on isn't what he's saying in the sand, but what he gets up and says to the people. Because he looks at the, these guys who are just so angry, so bitter, so frustrated, they want Jesus to eventually die. They think they have him trapped. They have these stones ready to stone this poor woman to death. This woman who is so embarrassed. So miserable at that moment. And Jesus looks at them in the eye. He says, you're right. Stoner. It's a stoner. That's what the law says. 
The question isn't, is she wrong? She's wrong. It's sin. So you can stone her. If. If you have never sinned before. Now, Jesus probably isn't talking about general sin there, though that does work here. He probably, though, is talking about sexual sin. Now, I'm assuming most of these guys are not sleeping around maybe like she is. Maybe he, they are. I don't know. But later, when Jesus is talking about sexual sin, he says it's not just the act, but it's the thought towards somebody that's not your spouse that's adultery. And so he literally says, look, the stone that you have in your hand, you can throw this. You can take her out. You can execute her. This is true. But you can only do so if you've never thought about or fantasized about, flirted with, had sexual relations with, a woman that is not your spouse. So go ahead. There she is. You've humiliated her enough. Now take her out. Throw the first stone if you have never sinned, specifically sexually sinned here. And these Pharisees are standing there. They're thinking, are you kidding me? Jesus wiggles out of this again? Because, I mean, they are literally, they're warming up their arm. They're ready to throw their best shot at this woman or try to trap Jesus and take him out because he's a threat to whatever they're trying to do. And so looking at their stones, and look what happens. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with a woman. One by one, they dropped their stone and they walked away, leaving this woman and Jesus alone with the crowd looking on thinking, what is Jesus going to do still? Because we don't know what he's going to do with this woman. And all these Pharisees, all these religious leaders left. Now, when I read that story, at that point, I'm like, let's go, Jesus. You put these judgmental, hypocritical people in their place because why would they try to humiliate a woman when they know they've done the same thing sure it may not be the exact same thing but they have sin in their hearts they have sins in their minds they have committed sexual sins as well I mean these guys need to be put in their place the problem with that is not only do they need to be put in their place but what about us this is where we need to get a little personal how often do we judge people by a standard that we don't hold ourselves to? Isn't it funny that we judge other people for what they do wrong because we disagree with their sin or their lifestyle or what they're doing with their life? And yet, we are so quick to condemn them we're so quick to justify ourselves. We hold them at this standard when we want to be held by other people at this standard. Am I right? 
Often we have a stone in our hand ready to throw it at somebody else because of the way they live their lives. Again, is this woman wrong? Yes. She sinned. She's wrong. She committed adultery. But how often we see other people doing some of the same things we do or we think in our minds it's worse than what we do. But Jesus says, go ahead, throw the first stone only if you yourself are innocent. There's a lot of us who walk around with a lot of stones throwing them at people. When honestly, if people knew what you and I were doing in secret with other people, they could throw the same stone at us, couldn't they? Jesus, he makes it so practical in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? All of us have heard that text, but let me illustrate it for you. Jesus says there's a speck in someone else's eye. You can barely see it. In fact, in order to get that out, you'd have to be so delicate to get tweezers and just barely get it out so you don't hurt that person. But he's like, you can't do that because you have a whole telephone pole sticking out of your own eye. I mean, imagine you have telephone pole sticking out and you're trying to do surgery on somebody. You can't do it. And what he's saying is, he goes, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. He's not saying not to deal with the friend's sin. (laughs) He's saying the thing in the person's eye, sin, it's wrong. And you can deal with it. You should deal with it if you're a good friend. But how about you spend the majority of your time taking care of this big old thing that's very obvious that you're ignoring or justifying or thinking it's just the right thing because of the life you've been dealt, whatever it is, instead of trying to judge other people all the time. Because Jesus isn't upset that these people brought her, this person, as if it wasn't sin. He's upset that they're trying to condemn and stone someone who they're just as guilty of. They're walking around with telephone poles sticking out of their eyes trying to get the speck out of this woman's eye. Imagine, church, imagine if we dropped the stone and we left it alone. Drop the stone of condemnation and of judgment. Leave it alone. When it comes to sexual sin, you have a stone you already throw, you got to drop it. Because if someone looked at your phone's history or what was there before you deleted it, or saw how you flirted with a coworker or a friend, or those text messages that you were going back and forth with that you justified, I don't get this kind of sexual attention or emotional attention at home, and so this person is, and so they're giving me what I need. Or whatever we do in our thoughts, because no one can see those anyways, we can fantasize their thoughts. And yet we judge other people that have sexual sin. We have the same sin. It just looks differently. Imagine if we dropped the stone and just left it alone because how can we do that to someone when we're still as guilty of it as well? Or you have a stone in your hand that you judge other people by the way they live their lifestyle. Maybe they're greedy. You're like, golly, they're just buying another car, another boat. 
How can they live that way? You know what? Jesus is to drop the stone and leave it alone. You want to know why? Because have you always been perfect with your finances? I haven't. Have we lived truly a generous life? If the scriptures say to tithe 10%, do we really do that all the time? Do, are we generous with our finances and say, God, these are your finances, not mine. Do we do that all the time? No. So why do we want to stone somebody else who's doing the same thing we are? It looks different because we justify, we hide, we judge people at this when we want to be judged with this. Or at least the big one that I've seen is we judge people at work. How can we do that? I mean, we have to drop the stone and leave it alone at work. Because you know what? When you gossip about somebody, that's just as bad as whatever they're doing. Or there's things that you have accidentally taken home with you that you never took back to work. Or there's things in our lives at work where if our coworkers and bosses found out, we would be appalled. We're thankful that there's no cameras in our office because if it was, we probably wouldn't have a job. I'm not going to lie. One time, <laughs> confessing this, I think a couple others here. I went in my office, shut the door. I had a couch in my office. I just took a nap. <laughs> probably wasn't supposed to do that on the job, but I was tired. I mean, how could I judge somebody else if they do something at work, Right? Leave it alone. There is a God who judges. And you're not him. We are not called to condemn. We're not called to pick up a stone and throw it at someone. What we're called to do is pull up a chair. Can you imagine if these religious leaders, again, I get so embarrassed because even though us pastors, we're not the same, it's still that religious leader role. And I was thinking to myself, how often I am to have a stone in my hand. Instead, what if we pulled up a chair? This person is in sin. It's true. Caught in adultery. Hello, this is wrong. In our lives, too, if we pulled up a chair and we asked the question, why? What's going on in your life that's causing you to act out in this way? You're sleeping with someone that's not your wife why, or husband. Why are you doing that? And what if the religious leaders heard the woman say, I'm just speculating, but what if she says, you know what, I, I was abused. I was abused as a child. This is all I know how to get love from men is giving my bodies up. Does that change the stone? Or you find out someone's just massively insecure and the only way they can feel security is by giving up their body? You could say, it's wrong. It is wrong. But underneath of what all of us do is a reason. A lot of us are enslaved in something we wish we could get out of. She does not want to be an adulterer. You don't want to do the certain things you do either. And if we actually sat and talked and helped people, maybe we could use the tweezers and get it out of the eye of somebody else without damaging them. And the way we would be able to do this is because we'd say, I'm just as guilty as you. So thankful for God's grace. Now, Jesus hasn't solved the riddle yet. Pharisees have gone. Is he going to show grace and let her go but ignore the law? Or will he pick up the stone and chuck it at her too? There has to be punishment here. She was wrong according to the scriptures. 
Jesus is so good. And Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? None of them threw a stone? She says, no, Lord. Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, still, the riddle has not been solved. There has been sin. There must be punishment. Somebody has to be punished according to the law of Moses for it to be upheld and to give her grace because that's what God is wanting to do with her. What does he do? What must happen to the punishment? Jesus says, pick up the stones. Throw them at me. In other words, Jesus is going to pick up the cross. He's going to march to Calvary. He's going to be nailed to a cross as if he's being stoned. And takes on her punishment. Even though she deserved to take it for her lifestyle just like you and I deserve it as well. He takes it on himself. I, I love how the Apostle Paul says it in Romans 4. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. He took on our sins to make us right with God. Romans 8.1, so now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No one can, can condemn us who are in Jesus because Jesus takes on the stoning for us. Jesus takes on the cross for us. He took the cross so you and I don't have to be condemned or judged by God or anybody else. He does that for her. He does that for us so that you and I, with the declaration that we are forgiven, we have a new identity, and now we can go and sin no more. Jesus says to the woman, look, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to take on your punishment. Now, the way that you're living your life, it's wrong, but you're doing it because you're trying to gratify something that can only be found in me. I've given you all that you need. Leave the sin behind Take me and go live in freedom. And Jesus solves the riddle by taking on the punishment, checkmark to the law of God, showing grace to her by saying, you don't need to live this way anymore. Go and live in freedom. Checkmark, grace, truth, grace, Jesus. You and I need the same thing. And what's not coincidental is right after this story, we read these words. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. You know what stinks sometimes about the Bible? You read these compelling stories and you don't know what happens to the woman. Does she go back to the man in bed? I don't know. Does she live in freedom? I don't know. But what we do know is that we're just as guilty as the woman. We deserve to be stoned as well for the way we've lived. It may not be like other people, but God's standard is the standard. It's wrong. Jesus took on the punishment, frees us to live in the light. You don't have to live in darkness anymore. It says you can walk in light that leads to life. Go and leave the sin behind and walk in freedom. So here's my challenge to you this morning. There are some of you that are so, so angry with so many other people. And you know what? Those other people may be wrong. I'm not saying they aren't. It's sin is sin. 
you're so angry and so bitter, you can't see past the own two-by-four in your own eye that you're missing out on what God really wants you to do. You just love people and let him do all the other work. doesn't mean you can't pull up a chair and sit down and say, look, what you're doing is hurting yourself, but you don't come from a place of judgment. You come from a place of forgiveness. Jesus took on the punishment for you, so drop the stone and leave it alone. And if you are the one caught in adultery, Jesus says, I have taken on your punishment. I've been stoned so you can go free. Now go and leave your sinful life behind and live in freedom. What will you do? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, so thankful for this text, so thankful for the truth of your word that somehow you can both uphold truth and grace and it all collides at the cross. Oh God, how often I judge other people. I do the same thing. It looks different, but it's the same in your eyes. God, forgive me of the way I condemn and judge and help me to share love and truth in a way that comes from a position of forgiveness and grace that you've given me. And Lord, for those in this room who are caught in this web of sin, God, you call them to leave it behind and walk in light what leads to freedom. Free people today. It's there. Help them to leave whatever they're clinging onto that's not you behind and take on who you are so they can live a truly free life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great Sunday.